Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where every single week I bring to you stories from the most forward-thinking, progressive recruitment owners on the planet. Guys and girls that have built some of the most well-renowned, some of the largest um, and most innovative recruitment agencies that are around in the market today. Um, I'm super excited today. I'm joined by Andy Lahol. Andy is the CEO of Montash, a global tech recruitment agency headquartered in London. Andy also um, has another, a few other businesses that he's got interest in. He's, a, he's what I call a multitasker. Um, I met Andy years ago. Where, where he is today, I sat in that very room in Liverpool Street about three years ago, and uh, he, he didn't even remember we were in that room, but I did. Um, Andy, Thanks for joining me on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. Um, I give you a very, very basic overview there. But um, yeah. we've already determined that your backdrop is real. It's not a fake. Yeah, it's not, it's not fake. No. No. So that is, you know, you, out, people will be like, that's, in, a, that's a virtual background. It looks too good to be true, that. So look, you're in the office, you're in the business. Tell us, give us an overview of, of who you are in, in more detail. Give us that helicopter view of the company as, it's, as it looks today. Yeah, let's start with who I am. So I'm, obviously I'm Andy, um, 42 today, it's my birthday. Um, Wee, father, husband, um, friend, brother, son. Um, and yeah, the owner, founder founder and owner of Montash, um, co-founder of another, uh, of an education business called Uniform and the founder of a platform, education platform called Zappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we'll talk about that, I should imagine a bit later. So Montash has been the main business, we're 16 years old. Uh, I founded it 2004 after one of my children, same same day actually, or same month as my child, one of my children was born. Um, and uh, it's what a journey it's been, what a roller coaster, you know, um, after all these years, we still, we're still rolling on, we're still smiling, we've got air in our lungs. Um, as I say to a lot of people, it's, it's basically a lot, of, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of mistakes made. Hopefully we get more things right than we get wrong, which is why we're still here. I guess we give a good service to our clients, look after our staff. Um, yeah, what does the business look like? Sorry? Tell, tell us what the business looks like today. So, you know, we're coming out of COVID. COVID, we took a bit of a, we took a, bit of a, a hit. In fact, pre-COVID, um, we had a bit of a change of leadership here. Um, and it was uh, the refresh the business needed. And we, we did a bit of a consolidation exercise. You know, we were... It, it, speaking openly, we'd scaled, and the reality was the scale the scale hadn't been as successful as it could have been. You know, we were chasing headcount and mm-hmm. and headline revenue, which is great. Um, but if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that the quality below that, the people, the processes, the systems, etc., are there. And the reality was, you know, when when we looked at the business in 2019, you know, we had three offices, um, we, you know, headcount approaching like a hundred odd. And it just, but the business wasn't the quality that, that I that I wanted, that I believed in. Um, yeah. And the figures, you know, the headline figures were good, headcount was good, but actually the quality, the rev, and the profitability was really poor. Um, and I couldn't, see, I didn't see it coming. So we actually did a pre-COVID, before COVID even hit, we did a bit of consolidation, moved to one office, um, and really focused down the business cut away, you know, areas that we'd gone into, maybe vanity projects, um, tied up the strategy, tied up the people and set on a path. Then COVID hit in March last year. Um, and, and we took that opportunity to maybe make the extra 10 or 15% consolidation that, that we probably were holding off on people that, you know, 
could have made it in a, in a good market, uh, probably weren't going to make it in a challenging market. And that was a really tough time because, you know, um, dealing with people's lives there and, and you know, we we tried to do the best we could through COVID. Um, we we tried to hope we held on to as many people as we could. Um, and the business today is, is much better for it, actually. If, if I look at the bit where we are as a culturally and values and people, uh, we're smaller than we've been for a while. We're about 50 odd people. Right. Um, but we have now got the proper foundations in place to grow. Um, wow. And, so you, you had to cut yeah. the grass. You had to cut the grass to grow, as they say. You had to cut the grass to grow. And some of those cuts are hard, right? Um, yeah. Because it's people. Um, and it, obviously there's an ego thing in it as well. You know, everyone wants to be, you know, lots of offices running around the place, big board meetings. And of course that's great. Right. But I, I you know, there's the essence has to be that we are scaling a good quality business, right? I'm not even talking about profit I'm talking about quality that you, you know, as you see across your workforce that, you know, those people are doing a version of recruitment that you recognize, right. Yeah, that you're seeing yeah. candidates coming back to us. That you're seeing clients, engaging with us on repeat business you're seeing us win big programs of work that's the kind of recruitment i signed up for and i, I believe in um and when you look across the business and you're not you know not necessarily convinced by that i think it's time to make change that's so powerful and uh you know something that we're going to press on we're going to discuss in this in this hour um let's go backwards right so you were 26 when you started the business if, if 20, i was 24 24 16 yeah. years you're 42 today. How's that work? Yeah. So, so Hansa, so we're going to be 17 years in August. Right, so you were just about turning 25 ish. Yeah, I guess when, I was when you said it. Up. Yeah. 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 So that's still bloody young, Andy, right? And that's, yeah. that was my point, right? What, what was, what made you start a company so, so early? You know, it's a really interesting question. Uh, so, what was going on in my life at the time? I was, I'd worked for, so instead of going to university, I managed to convince my parents that I could get a job. And the deal was, if I could get a job, I could defer my year, get a job, and then if the job was going well, I could not go to uni, right? I had a place to read economics at Manchester. My ambition was to come back to the city. I was going to go into finance, right? And I quite quickly realized that if I went to university, I would just be chasing girls and doing other things. And <laughs> not, I'll tell you what, studying wouldn't be happening, right? Debt yeah, would be great, right? I just, I just realized that. And I'm pleased I did because it wouldn't have been right for me. Um, so I started my career young. I started at 18, right? And my ambition was, I, I was like, if I, if, I, if, if I do this, I need to be interviewing and hiring grads in three years. That will be the proof point of success, right? If I'm coming out and I'm ahead of the peers, my peers that have got a degree, I've, I've exceeded them. Then you were thinking that at 18? Yeah, I was thinking that at 18, yeah. I, yeah, mean, I, I know, it's weird, I isn't it? shit didn't even go through my head at 18. I, know, I was like, man. I knew I'd got a uni and probably not be the most dedicated student. And that's exactly what I did. I went there <laughs> and I wasn't the most dedicated student. I learned so much about me and life though, that I'm, I'm, I wouldn't change it, but yeah, to, to, to have the foresight at that age, you know, did you have, was your dad an entrepreneur or was it, was it, was there some influence on you that, that kind of allowed you to think such a, to say, I want to hire grads in three years. I mean, I, yeah, I've not heard many people think like that at that age. That's a really good question. The answer is two th twofold. Not my dad. My grandfather is very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, and that had a big bearing on my life. And actually, I had a mentor, kind of not an official mentor, but someone I looked up to in, in life. And they didn't go to university. And they were very, very successful, still are to this day. Yeah. So I think those two things kind of drove me. Yeah. Um, and would I change it again? 
you know, 18 is a, a young age to start work. And, you know, we're probably going to be grafted until we're, we're into our 60s, right, is the reality if we're going to be living longer. Uh, so it's a long slog. Um, and there's a lot to be said. You know, if I think about my children now, I'd be encouraging them to go to university if it's right. If not, go traveling, go and see the world, go and do yeah. something before you work out what you want to do, right? Because the reality is when you're 18, you don't know yourself. You think you know yourself. You think you know everything, right? Don't we? We're just like yeah. invincible and we know everything. No one can tell us anything. But the reality is we know nothing. I still, I'm 42. I'm still learning every day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I started young, fell into – look, I'm from that S3. wasn't even S3 in those days. I'm one of the ex – you know, futures, progressive Huxley. I'm ex Huxley. At 18 was, years old, you went into Huxley. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was fortunate enough to work with some great people. I was in, you know, right place, right time. Um, under Gary Oldham was the, M, was the MD at that time of Huxley. Mike mm. Smith was contract manager, right? So these guys have gone on to do great things themselves and to learn and to, to get have that experience. I think, you know, probably like a lot of people, um, Recruitment came really easy. What you know, and I just and the market was phenomenal, right? It's just different world. It's picking up the phone and doing deals, drinking Red Bull all day, you know, work hard, play hard in the city, yeah, and just think you're invincible, really. Working all hours, you know. Um, Where were you living? You living at home with your parents, or did you move out? So <laughs> you're asking really interesting questions. They're all so relevant because so I was I was 18 living at home. Yeah. in Essex, traveling into the city. And I got my first big paycheck. I bought a Rolex, obviously. Of course you so did. So cliched, right? So cliched. <laughs> so cliched. Um, <laughs> but as the, I was contract, as the money started coming in, you know, I'm quite sensible in that regard. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy. I had a deposit for a flat. Now, hold on a sec. The caveat to that is in those days, right, mortgages, you could literally write on You could write an application on a napkin and they'd give yeah. you a mortgage. Um, and... I decided to buy a place in London right. and I looked in, um, so uh, like kind of whopping was coming up cool, you know, Canary yeah. and you. And I went to, I phoned the estate agent. I went in my lunch hour to see this flat. By the time I got there, this was like, uh, you know, in the market was going mental, property market's great. No, that sold, that sold, that sold. All I've got left is the penthouse, right? I'm, I'm like not 18, 19. I'm like, what? So we go up there. He's like, five great, 5K deposit today, it's yours. And I called my dad and he's like, just do it. I put £5,000 deposit on a, on a, on a flat uh, that, that completed. I got the mortgage because we wrote a letter at Huxley. Yeah, Andy's earning this. They took it for granted. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, so I moved to London young. What was that flat like? It was mega, man. It was crazy. It was like a two bed, two bathroom overlooking the city. Wow. Have you still got it? No, no, gone, no. long gone. That, long that'd gone. be worth a fortune now. You know, it's interesting. So it's in East London, right? My heritage, I'm Jewish heritage. Um, mm. And, you know, that part of London used to be very, it's like where all the immigrants turned up, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Brick Lane, it's now not, it's now Indian and Pakistani, right? But yeah. pre, it was very like immigrants, Jew, lots of Jews there, Irish and stuff. And my grandma... Kate was brought up to London to see this flat. You know, my mum was very proud and she's like, and my grandma walks in and she's like, you don't know how hard 
we work to get out of this area. Right? <laughs> now you're paying this money to live here again. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. crazy to think. It's only a couple, you know, generation, two generations, that circle. Yeah, yeah. That's class. That is exactly how yeah. it works. So, yeah. all right. So then your recruitment career from 18. So we don't, I, I want to get into the montage bit soon, but mm. that S3, did you stay with them all the way till that, till you left? Yeah. yeah. No, I was just, it was, I should look, so look, life is about lessons. It really, it really puzzles me when people say they have no regrets. And that's an amazing outlook in life, right? Maybe regret is the wrong word, but there's definitely things I do differently. I'm sure, I'm sure no one can say there isn't, right? And one of the things I would do differently is I would have hung out, uh, I would have stayed at S3 as it was then, longer, because right. I didn't know enough, right? I was a brilliant biller and I'd run a small team and I thought I could run through walls, um, and that would be enough to take me to this most successful growth, the next S3. The reality is I should stay longer because S3 was changing. It was becoming a lot more corporate. And well, that was one of the things that put me off. But actually, now you, when running a business, you realize why those changes are necessary. You realize why process and standardization and all these different things that companies as they scale have to put in. And I missed all that. So what I, eventually, what I essentially did is I basically created a mini Huxley that kind of got stuck in a bit of a time warp for a bit, you know, and I wasn't mature enough or old enough or worldly enough. You only know what you know to move the business forward that much. That's why, you know, for, for a good eight years of the early days of Montash, it was just like a, like a, it was brilliant. Don't get me wrong. It was fun, but it wasn't, we didn't scale much because, you know, we weren't thinking, I wasn't thinking about this things that one needs to scale. I was thinking about, lunch clubs and yeah. winner's trips and you know suits and you know rolexes and things like that right which is fine but it's not what was it what was well how did you come up with the name montage where, where does that come from that that's my mother's maiden name right that, that same grandma that came in and just thought i was mad to move into whopping right. um yes that's her maiden name i love it so paint the picture for us the first day of montage where were you what was it like how did you do it Wow. Bunhill Row, serviced office. Uh, I, okay, so actually the first day of Montage was my bedroom, right, which is probably <laughs> the case. I think you've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. Same where I started. I'm sure many a business has started, uh, garage or bedroom, right? For me, mm -hmm. it was a spare bedroom. And I remember I could only afford 20 job serve credits. Right? That's yeah, all yeah, I could yeah. So I knew... Those 20 jobs have credits. I have got to make them count. And I remember getting the 60-odd CVs, and, man, I stripped every one of those CVs. <laughs> like, you know, like, mm. like oh, my life depended on it. My livelihood did depend on it. And then just built out. I went straight into contract, which is unusual. Most people start with perm, but contract yeah. was my background. Yeah. And, dude, we were flying, man. We were flying. We were, we were, we were doing SAP Europe. You know, uh, one of the few, we were one of the early adopters to do SAP recruitment, and we were absolutely fine. We hit some big projects with some big clients, you know, eye watering, eye watering profit. If you think, if I think back now, so small to be, you know, dealing with those big global companies and making the margins we were phenomenal. So, were you on your own for that for a bit and then you started hiring? How did it, how did yeah. you actually go in that first year or so? So you know, you know what I'm saying about the mistakes and the the things that 
So when you're in a big company like S3, there's a load you take for granted as well. There's a load of things that frustrate you. There's a load of things you don't that you love, and there's a load of things you don't even know that are there, right? Yeah. Back yeah. office, finance, legal compliance, culture, internal recruitment, training, all these things that you just think, ah, oh, then you take them for granted. And then you know, if I rewind to those early days and I think about you know what we did well we were phenomenal recruiters right the energy and passion and hard work and quality you know because i was believed in it and everyone around me would would, would emulate that right that was great our recruitment was 10 out of 10 where we just where i just didn't develop the business was around you know the processes the people understanding the importance of quality people training career path da, 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 da. so my back office was good, right? Because I'm a contract recruiter, you don't you don't mess around with the back office, yeah? We yeah, didn't. Yeah. From day one, we were running that properly, compliance properly. I've never, you know, still to this day, we just, there's just a way of, for me, a quality that has to run through that. So we were always trading well. Candidates were getting a great uh, service. Clients come back to us. But we were, I was working classic, right? I was working in the business, not on the business. Right. How long were you on your own for before you started hiring? Oh, not long, because we I rattled out quite a few contractors, so the income was there. We grew three, ten, grew to ten quite relatively quickly. But it was First, ten, then it was four, then it was like six, then it was eight, mm -hmm. and this was all down to the fact that I was still in the business, doing the deals, leading from the front, which is brilliant when you've got a team, right? That's fine in S three when you've got a team, you can lead from the front, have your team. When you're growing a business, at some point you've got to say, "Hold on, a set. My skill set is no longer pulling five leads a day and and being top of this sales chart, right? My my job is now actually I've got to now create the next meads, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's probably step away from the tools is the reality. Yeah. Um, how how that's a good question then, or a good thing to talk about briefly. Like, where is that lever? So we get you know, there's a lot of companies that. There's a lot that don't want to do this. And, and what I don't want this show to seem like we just promote all the big boys and, you know, small lifestyle businesses or whatever, you know, a, a, a second rate because they're not. There's a lot of great businesses that are happy being five, ten people. They make a shitload of profit. They have a great life. Crack on. But there are a lot of people that want to be where you are and bigger and better and they, they don't break through. They just, they just fail to get through that 10-man mark. Where do you think that – because and, and I believe it's because they, they're too – they're too controlling of everything. They they keep they don't want to give stuff away. They basically create a you know a lot of resources around them, and they yeah. wonder why they wonder why no one's stepping up because they don't let anyone. But yeah. where what's the kind of trigger? Would you say or you know, well, yeah, what are the signs that you should get out the way soon, or you should start to think about moving up the chain? What what would you say was there or should be there? Sure, that's a really good question, isn't it? I think that's like one of the most relevant questions that a business business like an entrepreneur who starts a business faces and i think most of us get it wrong mm -hmm. and then some of us get it right and then some people get it really right yeah and i think um i think at some point you've got to one has to understand that you've got to hire people that are better than you at different things and get out their way and just let them own it right so i'm really cognitive about what my superpowers are and what what i'm absolutely terrible at right and and everything in between. I know because if I'm in a meeting, I'm switching off. I know that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's not my. So why am I in that meeting? Why are people asking me? Why are these decisions coming through me when I'm not the best person? No. 
Um, it took years to work that out, right? Years to get. I got to there. Get that. I've got yeah. there. I've I, I stepped away from the Hoxo agency in in April and stepped aside to launch and properly run the academy business. Mm. And the main reason is because of what you just said. Like you know, things yeah. are coming through me that I'm just not. I know I've not got the detail. I've not got the. Not, I haven't got the interest at that level. And it sounds bad, but my brain's already taken on something else. And yeah, if I'm sat in an internal meeting about this, when I could be out you know, creating content or meeting clients or whatever that, yeah. whatever, whatever the value would be or hiring the next person. Yeah. You know, I think it, it took me four years to get to that. Well, yeah. Four years to, to really get to that point where yeah. I didn't, I didn't need to be in it, which is great, but I felt it was the right decision for me personally to get out the fucking way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you've got, one's got to understand that when you do that, it might not be perfect or it might, they're not going to do it the way that you would do it. But yeah. if you've hired well, right and that's the key to it hire well don't cut corners don't promote don't then promote right i'm going to step down from the md role and i'm going to promote this guy who's basically a mini me because <laughs> and he's just going to do what i say or just yeah. basically say exactly what i used to say but with a slightly different different twist and he looks different to me um if you generally find people who are better in your business than that and you can manage, you can convince them to come on you with this on with you on this crazy journey, right? And convince them to stick it out and then get out of their way. Just let them down. I was in a meeting, you know, we had a meeting on Monday. I'm like, why, why, why are you running this past me? Please don't you know I'm just gonna end up, you know, do you guys run with it? Just please run with it. Don't need to yeah. know. If it's in budget, it's in it's on plan, fine, go with it. So I'm interrupting today's episode to introduce today's sponsor, which is District 4. Some of you who listen to The Rag may have listened to the episode I did in Season 4 with James Johnson. James was the outwardly-facing um, CEO of Nickel Curtain Group, who sold in 2020 and has recently started a company called District 4. Now, after the episode, James and I spoke, and my passion for this model, for this idea, is incredible because I've been the person that he's looking to work with. So when we discussed um, partnering with the with the show, I, you know, it was a no brainer for me. Um, District Four, for those of you that don't know, is a is a brand new business model, and it's effectively a community of independent top billing recruiters that work under the banner of District Four, um, but but run their own life. So um, post COVID nineteen, there's going to be a we know there's a hell of a lot of top recruiters out there that have been working independently more so than ever before. Um, and there's a lot of people in the industry that don't necessarily love the whole people management bit. They're not managers. They're not directors. They just want to be really good recruiters. Now, traditionally, the only option for you as, a, as an individual like this has been to start your own agency. And there's a reason why 90% of the recruitment agencies in the world are sub 10 staff is because most people who do this start a recruitment agency, having been a top biller, not a manager, and then they, they, they build something that around them is, is, is not necessarily what they set out to do. And, they, and they're not built for scale that way. Whereas District 4 is a community of top performers who all work together um, and support each other. So if you're billing at least 200 grand and you're a niche recruiter, you can be a member of District 4, which means you effectively will recruit under their banner and be surrounded by other top billers. So you will be in like a daily contact and support network with other people billing the same sort of money, at a similar point in their career, who each want to um, have an amazing life. 
So none of you are going to be interested in, in building teams. It's going to be about building as much as you can, about doing the best job you can and living the lifestyle you want, going on as many holidays as you want, finishing work when you want, living and working wherever you want, but knowing that you're your back office is supported, your legal, your compliance, your payroll, all the crap that recruiters don't really want to do. And believe me, when you start a business, it does bog you down. All of those things are taken away. James and his team will manage that. But not only that, they will coach you. James is, a, is an executive mentor. He works with startup founders. He helps people. He's also you know, spent some time with me recently as well, which has been incredible. Um, so he will not only make sure that your back office is taken care of, but the business will coach you, mentor you, and surround you. That's the key. It'll surround you with A players, other top billing recruiters that are on the same path. It's like joining a Premier League club, all right? You don't join a Premier League club and then be in the first team with some juniors that haven't got the talent. Recruitment agencies across the world are exactly like that, whereas this is not. It's only for people building 200K or more. So if you thought your only option was to start your own agency or to stay in your business and go down some corporate ladder you didn't fancy, you need to speak to these guys. Go to www.district4.io forward slash hoxo. That's www.district4.io forward slash hoxo. On there, you'll see more information about their membership, how to get involved and register your interest. Within days, James will be on the phone. You'll have a conversation about the opportunity and you might be one step closer to being in control of your destiny. Don't wait now. Make that contact and change your life post-COVID for the better. You've got to look at yourself then based on what you've said. You've got to, you've got to have the ability to look at yourself and think, yeah, am I, am I allowing other people to step up or am I, or am I actually suppressing other people based on where yeah. I am? I mean, that, that's yeah. what I've just took from what you said. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think yeah. you've got to look at yourself and realize, and those 10 man businesses, by the way, as you said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Right. And they can be highly profitable. You know, they make up the majority of recruitment businesses in the country, right? They, they contribute to the tax, you know, to the society tax, et cetera. They're phenomenal. Um, but yeah, we, you know, me, I, my, my leadership team here, we've made the conscious decision to scale it. Um, yeah, because we believe so, we can. So let's go back to just before you scale. What was, you yeah. talked about, how, how long was that period? Eight years, did you say, where you yeah, hopped around yeah. 10? Yeah. So your life then, so you, that takes you into your early 30s. Yeah. How, how did life change outside of work whilst you were trying to do all, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, did having that, focus on almost you know making money and profit and did that allow you to live the life you wanted to live at that age like did it was it was it did it work together if, is what I'm yeah saying. yeah yeah honestly that you know one of the things i can tell you is i've lived right and i was <laughs> so i was 24 i just got divorced right because i was married for six months that's a whole nother story we're not going to go there but a crazy time and i had what must have been the best yeah, the, the phenomenal years, right, where I've got, you know, I'm privileged to have a lot of disposable income, a lot of disposable income. I'm now moved to Primrose Hill in a wow. flat in Primrose Hill that, you know, lends itself to parties. I'm working hard. I've always worked hard, but I'm playing hard, traveling the world, you know, doing the things that, you know, no no, mid, no 20 or very few 25, 26 to 30, early 30s are doing, right? Yeah. And so actually it was the right business for my for the right time. Tell us, give us a, if you can, 
if you can tell us give just take take us to a place where you yeah you shouldn't have been there based on how old you were what give us one oh, moment okay i'll give you a great anecdote and this is insane so we we, we <laughs> used to go there was a group of us that used to go to brazil every year right yeah and we used as you fly, do as you do yeah as you do right <laughs> argentina brazil we'd fly out um and we'd get there uh, so we take three weeks over christmas and, you know, we're going there to live large, right? We've got a decent budget to spend. So we're not backpacking. We're not staying in hotels. We're no. staying in the best hotels. We're going to the best restaurants. When we're going to the club, we're getting the best table. Yeah. And through this kind of, you know, in, in South America, you get very, you get this kind of very upper class, like, like high society. And then it's not really middle class. It's, it's a, quite a strange place. So it was back then. It wasn't a big middle class. So you go to these places, you're exposed to, Pete, you know, players, right? And yeah. actually, they're very warm and welcoming. And we made some incredible friends, like grand grandsons of presidents, and this one, that one, private jets here, there. We were ended up at parties where we, you know, this young young recruitment lad from Essex did not belong. <laughs> we were imposters, but yeah. nobody knew it was fine. Yeah. And you know, it culminated in some crazy nights. Obviously, you know, it culminated in. A, in a mate of mine date, dating Naomi Campbell. It culminated right. in private jets to parties on islands, right? I can't, and so much more. Yeah. And what a phenomenal time, and what a time to be alive, right? And I yeah. guess, you know, what you, you know, that was the right time for me. That age, that business was great. It was great. At that age, I was doing the same thing, but with no money as a backpacker <laughs> in Asia. So yeah, I still blagging uh, your way in though. It's fine. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that. We yeah, we, we ended up in in India once. We went out in Mumbai to this. We ended up in this posh area of Mumbai, and my business partner Amar is in he's in his Punjabi background. Um, I think he dressed like he owned a yacht that night. Yeah, and we, right. <laughs> we walked we walked into this club, and it, yeah, it, like high, India's got a really high end scene as well. Yeah, I can and, imagine. And, and I, I remember going to the bar, and the round of drinks was like a whole whole night normally that we would spend that we were like shit like oh my god we we yeah. literally we we should not be here um yeah. but yeah i think my my kind of high heydays of of money were, were as a biller and then as you start a business it all kind of dropped off and then it is slowly building back up so yeah. i missed out on some of that so early 30s what what makes this decision then why did you suddenly think right we've you know i've had fun eight years in you know, I've got family or whatever. What, what, where were you in your life when you went right? Now we need to scale this and need to need to actually build something that's that's slightly different. Yeah, I think it was that realization that um, that this was just going to spin around. The world's going to spin in the mud, right? And while it's great, you know, it's, it's I need to bring some scale to this business if I'm going to have something a proper asset that I'm proud of. I think that, and also I'd seen some of my peers from S3 who looked after me um stop gaining businesses and i'm like whoa you know how have they done that what have i missed here what what trick have i missed um and i think seeing those businesses and thinking okay i uh, surely i can do that if i get it right um i think those two things plus in my private life i've met my my wife now um so i think you know going a bit older the trips to brazil were turned into you know <laughs> more sensible holidays yeah, and I think yeah. it was just the right time. And my first big hire in that world was my FD. And I spent big money on an FD to bring in. Oh, already the back office was always tidy, but I wanted to bring in the FD. Then we started looking at the, you know, the sort of the processes and, and procedures within the business. 
Okay. So tell, take us through that journey then. So what, how many, that was about eight years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's like, okay, what, 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 what facets does a, does a business have? Does a business need to have um, talent acquisition, internal recruitment, uh, training, academy for bringing in graduates, um, <clears throat> you know, diverse client base, promotions and, and um, career yeah. paths. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got very, very, I wouldn't say lucky because we worked for it. We, we hit upon what can only be described as a dream scenario. I, I've still never heard anything like this, right? So we, um, we'd been doing SAP for years. We moved into more sort of, as we kept doing SAP, but we moved into more senior IT recruitment, right? Um, so we started doing executive recruitment and we got good at it. Right? We got really good at it. Um, we weren't doing like the retained, we were sitting below the retained guys, the Egon Zenders, but above the contingency, you know, larger shops and there was a real niche for us there and we carved out this niche and you know we did uh we did one perm placement quarter of a million pound uh which i was in some money if you think about it for one placement um but moreover to that we stumbled across the largest sap program still to this day right wow. in total this sap program was one and a half billion pound 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 wow over three to five years mega and we happened to be their preferred supplier when they turned around and said, hey, you guys, you guys do SAP, right? Yeah, yeah, you need to come and see us, sat down. We're about to embark on the largest ever SAP program and we want you to be our number one supplier. That, that was a sea change for the business because that, we, we got over 120 contracts on that one project alone, but we're talking big, big margin contracts. We, this wasn't yeah. some high volume, low margin. No. You know, we were doing phenomenal work and getting paid well for it. We were, you know, everyone was happy. The clients were happy. We were happy. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a second, but the proof point for that is, I won't say who the client is, but one day I was in, they had an entire office, by the way, dedicated to this program, right? Wow. Not a floor. They had a five-story building in Canary Wharf dedicated to this SAP program, right? And there was a there was a there was quite a few periods during that program that we had more people than the systems integrator. IBM were the main integrator. Montash had more contractors in this building than IBM. A wow. phenomenal, I mean, phenomenal success story. The, the, this, the flip side of that is what it did is it sucked us into this. Uh, we became farmers, right? So yeah. from a real kind of hunting mentality where we could win business. We quite a large portion of the business tend to deliver into this program, yeah. Um, and that was one of my big lessons. You know, to, if, to do that again, I would I would silo that as a that's a team with an account manager delivery. But my hunters don't get fat on that. Don't get fat and lazy. No. You come back here. Let's go and find the next one of those because they're out there somewhere. Maybe not as big, but they're out there. Instead, yeah, yeah. what we did is quite a large portion of the company focused on delivering. And we smashed it out of the park, right? We're so proud of the work we did. We're still, you know, I'm still in contact with all those people, you know, um, and it's a phenomenal time of our of our journey. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that part of it, believe me, but I'd change how we approached it. Wow. So what, yeah. what impact did that revenue have on the business and how did you use it because that must have been a, such a boost yeah you obviously, you obviously didn't you obviously didn't do what you what you would now do which is do that silo piece so what did you do yeah um 
what we didn't do is reinvest that money as, as aggressively as we should we should have done or aggressively as probably yeah but we didn't re reinvest it as smart as we should have done right mm -hmm. we should have reinvested a lot of that money in the scaling of the business um we built out you know we didn't we didn't fr frit it away but we didn't probably spend it in the right way and obviously we're so busy delivering to this project that we're not thinking about investment because I'm on the projects as well. I'm in there, you know, because I can see, you know, in front of my face how much opportunity there is. It didn't just all, by the way, it didn't just all land on our desk, right? We had to go and work the client. Yeah, so it wasn't yeah. a pure, here's, you know, come into the office nine o'clock and there's five jobs there. It was coming to the office nine o'clock, there might be a couple of jobs there, but it was go out, get in, get in, get in, get in amongst the program. You know, we, we often pitched against IBM right that takes a lot you don't just say oh you know we want a date we want a data piece of work from them that took us a month to pitch for you know it's detailed pitch yeah, etc yeah. um so i wasn't looking at scaling the business right we were very much eyes down on the prize how long did that last uh good few years yeah two and a half three years yeah and yeah. really yeah it had a yeah real impact on the business so we didn't at that point. That was a big mistake that I made. Is that I should have sided it, focused, and said, "Right, we've got a massive opportunity here. Let's 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 scale this." Um, and, and so, take what, advantage where of were you when, in two years or whatever? Where were you when this program started to come to an end? And you, you know, you've got to then pivot yourself back to being a hunting organization. Yeah. Where where was the business at that point? Well, okay, so we got approached to be. We've someone approached us to buy us, um, and in fact, that 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 approach kicked off a process where we actually said, well, look, why well, is not going to go for the first offer? Let's put the business up for sale and see who's interested. And we got five offers. One of them was a really serious offer, a very serious offer, um, and leads to my second thing. So leaving Huxley early, I would have stayed another three to five years. I would have cashed out as well, Huxley, crazy. And then my second thing that I definitely changed is – I would have got, I would have sold the business in in 2015 because it was a brilliant offer it was a great company that wanted us right and essentially it was my fear of going back to being an employee and you know the four year earn out how they how the dynamics would change how would I cope with with being part of a big ship again and actually what I realized is I would have coped just fine because I would have been learning um, and I would have just got on with it. I would have just made it a success, right? So those are the two kind of things that if I would definitely, if I could rewind, those are the two things I would change. So you literally sat there, you had that offer, and you, yeah. based on the earnout, because that is a big thing that people talk about, isn't it? It's like, you know, if you're mentally checked out of a company, like were you at that point where you probably thought, I was on the fence of I'm quite happy to leave now, I'm quite happy to move on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. been there for quite quite a few years at that stage, and I was quite I was tired. I was tired, but you know, been doing it a while, and actually, that would have been the right thing to do. And it's so frustrating because there's an old saying uh, in business: sell and repent. Yeah, says so do it and then repent, because actually, selling and repenting always feels better in the long run than not selling and regretting. Right. Yeah. So if I if 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 I'm in that situation or anyone's ever asking me advice. I think it's very hard to give advice because you know there's so many different circumstances. Yeah. But from my experience, my shared experience is sell and repent um, and live but to fight. Yeah. yeah.
A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening and you're a recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge, well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So, yeah, the thought of a four-year earnout. I mean, it's quite a long time as well, isn't it? It's it not is. A short, you, you hear about two years and three years, four years, is, but at least it's a clear plan that then means yeah. you can sort of put a line in the sand. Um, yeah. So then, how did you feel refusing that and going back to the tools? Because you yeah. must have, again, part of you must have mentally checked out in that process, I imagine. So it's almost like you know this story, right? But actually, the 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 thing that happened is me and the leadership team, we all got very excited about this sale that was going to happen. And when it yeah, didn't right. happen, it caused quite a large uh, ripple through the, through us, through my leadership team. And those guys kind of felt a bit deflated. And off the back of that, I lost a couple of good leaders. Mm. Um, and that was kind of like, okay, so now we've got to start rebuilding this. We've got to realign, got to create a new vision got to create a new strategy, got to create a new plan, and we've got to go go again. And at that point, 2000, end of 15, I decided to take on an MD to run the business, and I was going to step back and focus on my other businesses, um, which I did, and spent a lot of time trying to find, you know, find an MD and interviewed a lot and appointed an MD, and that was kind of the next, you know, the chapter, if you will, of Montash's journey, um yeah and how did that how did that feel then having someone else step in and you've got a bit of freedom to look at you know that plus the other companies the freedom's phenomenal the freedom was amazing because it really allows you just to refresh and clear your mind right the the idea of letting go and then someone run it is challenging i'm not gonna lie mm. the problem is if you've just hired someone that you don't know you just don't know this person. You might have done your due, due diligence, which I did. You've done, you know, you've met a lot of people. This is still someone that you don't know, right? It's not like I, I had the option of promoting someone from within. That would have been a better option. Um, 
and that and that person's going to come with a new set of ideas, different approach, and you've got to let them get on with it. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Um, so the freedom part was great. The idea of being able to get away and refresh and reset was was good. Um, the the part where you have to let go is hard. And then, of course, if it works out, it's brilliant. Oh, I'm genius. I found the best guy. If it doesn't work out, then you've got to think of what should what's well, how did it, How did yours work out? <laughs> um, in some ways, it was good. It was positives. In other ways, not so good. Um, and, you know, needless to say, that was our period where we scaled with headcount and offices. Yeah. But nothing else. Yeah. The headcount looked great. The offices, wow, we've got two offices. That looks great. Um, but sadly, the you know the 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 figures just didn't follow, right? And yeah. uh, not only it wasn't only the profitability that was just DNA, the DNA as well changed. DNA and the quality and the, and what happened, which which was really which I hadn't really thought about, is that when I ran my business, it was very you know it was smaller. Okay, so flatter. But there was no politics, right? People respected each other. People looked each other in the eye. They supported each other. You go through, you make mistakes together. You you, you win together, right? And you lose together. But as as Montash scaled through that period, it became very political. Um, there was a lot of, you know, some offices were fighting against each other. Um, and yeah, politics set in, which I hadn't really seen before in, in my business. Um, and it can be, you know, if that again, that can be quite a difficult place for people. Um, and you know, what happens is what I what the, the worst thing that happens is as as you hire more people, and I always talk about this, I think we've talked maybe we talked about it before, but we talk about this kind of talk about this bar, right? The, the the a company, your company, my company, we're the sum of our people, right? You've probably got some tech, you talked about some things you built before, you might have some proprietary bits and pieces, but in recruitment essentially our biggest asset is our people right yeah of um, so your companies are some of your people and I, what i saw is as as we're scaling there was just no quality control you know if they've got a pulse and they can they look they look like they're interested get them in right mm. and what happens is our bar of quality was just drifting down right and the worst thing when that happens in my opinion it's my view is that you you actually start losing your good people because yeah. your good people don't want to be on a team full of dummies, right? They want to be playing Champions League football, right? Or they want to yeah. be winning trophies. They don't want to be relegated, right? So we had this challenge. And, and again, what, we, what I was seeing that for me was the, 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 the real red, red flag was that we were hiring people and losing them after nine months. So we had nine months of non-productivity, salary, and then we're losing them. Because they weren't being trained, nurtured, developed. They weren't the right people at first, and they were. So um, this was kind of all going on, and I'm like, wow, okay. And you're looking at this. You're looking at this from a bird's eye view. I've been mean, like regular meetings with the MD, and and just I imagine it's just ticking away in the back of your brain all the time. Yeah, like, something yeah. needs to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there was a big thing. One of the big realizations we did a staff survey. And I had this HR, like uh, some, someone I really respect who's, who's very good in HR. He read, he kind of helped me interpret it and he basically explained. And I was like, wow, he goes, that's not the company that I remember. That's not Montage yeah. that I know. And that was a kind of light bulb moment.
Wow. So what did you just literally, you had to let the guy go or lady go? Yeah, we, look, we, we, this is now we're kind of, and I'll be very honest with you. I mean, probably too honest, but we, we then parted company in 19. Um, and again, you know, there was, then we lost, we, we, we lost and we, we basically let go of quite a lot of people, um, consolidated the offices and just went back to what we believe in or what I believe in. Which How did that feel around. going back, going from scaling it to a point, looking at an exit, a bit deflated after that, bringing someone else in, seeing it grow, seeing the quality drop, exiting that person, coming back in yourself day to day. Yeah. How, how did you cope with that? Yeah, honestly, I felt amazing because I needed that. I needed to go through that, realize that that, that journey to fall back in love with and then realize what I want for this business, right? Yeah. And the last 18 months have been phenomenal. It's been hard, right? It's been tough and there's always, you know, running, building a business is never easy. You never know what you're going to get day in, day out. But what a phenomenal journey because I've now got people around me that I believe in, you know. And the thing is we've made some really – key changes but they make such a fundamental change to the business the quality of people that we're bringing in and retaining is just you know there's a saying when the tide comes in all boats rise yeah, yeah. and we're giving more people more freedom we're treating them with more respect we're, we're giving them it's a happier place to be and you can allow the th see, the thing is you know we talk about in this day and age this whole thing about remote working is a massive topic right um for us as well and the thing is with remote working, in my opinion, if you have the right people, right, that are here for the right reason, are engaged, you can trust them, they trust you, communication's clear, they can work anywhere, right? Mm. Is the reality. Because if they if they only work when you're standing behind them, or oh Andy's on the floor, better pick up the phone, you lost, man. It doesn't matter if yeah. they're sitting there or if they're sitting on a beach in, in Malibu. They ain't doing the, they're not the kind of people you want in your business anyway. I, think, I mean, I totally agree, by the way, but I think I think it's more the the ability to learn changes, the ability to impact things. So, for example, I used to sit next to my team and halfway through a call, I can hear this is going fucking pear-shaped. Yeah. And yeah. I'd be I'd be writing notes on my pad, like <laughs> yeah. this. Like, for example, I, I knew they'd be oh, saying nah. they'd either be pitching a company and talking shit about it, and I'd be like, that's yeah. not true change that or, or i'd be like ring this candidate or say this and yeah. you know i was able to impact things and train on the spot and it wasn't just me it's a, you know that, that that's an office and when shit goes wrong yeah. i remember adam, adam won't mind me saying who, who works with me now in our connects business you know he had a day where he, he did a deal and it fell out and then it, the guy started and then and then he quit after about three days contract and they gave him an opportunity to backfill it anyway I then found it. I had a guy in London who it was a Manchester-based job, and I had a guy in London um, yeah. who had been he'd been out of work for six months. He'd done a great job for me before. He knew how to do this job. I, I knew he'd be perfect. And I said, Adam, phone him, and he said, Look, this is in Manchester. Like, will you do this? The candidate was like, Look, I've been out of work for six months. My kids in private school. I'll fucking go wherever you want, right? So sends the candidate. The client goes, He's in London. We're in Manchester. This is going to be a problem. He was like, Look, I've, we know this guy. We'll vouch for him. We wouldn't send someone we don't vouch for. Yeah. Anyway, guy goes up, gets the job. I'm a Man City fan. He's a Man United fan. He's then sending me pictures of the Man United store saying, check this out and all this. Adam writes it back on the board. You know, everyone's happy. Client's happy. I'm happy. Yeah. And then I, get, then I get my phone starts buzzing. Again, he phoned me because I had a relationship with him. Yeah. 
and he pulled out because he'd yeah, had uh, a, job in he, a role a role in London came through that yeah. he'd interviewed for ages ago. And Adam went white. Yeah. His skin just lost all colour. Yeah. I remember taking him for a bottle of Corona at 11 a.m. and trying yeah. to console the guy. And I'm like, there are moments, I think, trying to do that in a remote environment. Yeah. How yeah. the fuck do you do it? So what, what's yeah. your, what is your model now? Then? How, how have you yeah. got through the pandemic and, and how do you see the future from, a, from that perspective? Yeah, let, let me let me let me reiterate right what you just said. Okay, so we I I I believe if you've got the right people, they can work anywhere because the trust is there, right? Yeah, I agree. However, however, we are in sales, we are in recruitment. It's a roller coaster, right? As you just said, dropouts, high fire. You know, you you need to stand. You want to be in a in a team, right? There's a reason because you're going through this together, and you want to go through those highs and lows. And also the learning, exactly what you said, the learning through osmosis, right? Just that pick little nuggets of information you pick up as a leader, little things you observe that you can intervene quickly on the desk, right? So while I believe we've got a workforce that if we went full lockdown tomorrow and went back to home, I trust every single one of them to be at their desk and to do what needed to be yeah. done to get the job done, right? The trust is there. However, we've gone to the hybrid model, right? And we embraced it really early. So we were back in the office some of us up voluntary like february right mm. because i was finding it hard being at home despite having quite a nice setup we had some people who moved to london you know from other countries they're sitting on the end of their bed trying to do the job they yeah. were coming in and then we did a staff survey and we mandated everyone back to the office three days a week right unless they had exceptional circumstances pregnancy shielding whatever, whatever right yeah. best thing we did those three days tuesday to thursday here i mean you can't hear it the, the floor's buzzing people are smiling you know we're in shoreditch right it's great it's fantastic the monday and friday people work from home it's fantastic you know they're happy they're bit, you know monday's a lot of catch-up one-to-one's great friday you know they don't you know they don't have to go home they can be at home whatever right it's great so we we we've we've embraced this hybrid model it's working well the figures suggest it's working well so yeah, that's where we're at for the foreseeable. So, what about you? Well, I mean, we we went remote, so we we literally had an office in Bethnal Green, fifteen staff. The day the lockdown went in, yeah. we shut it. We closed it, thinking, you know what, we'll see what happens. And then we we ended up giving notice, which we paid for six months and never went. Yeah. And now we've got now we've got a thirty man team or thirty person team, sorry, around the world. So in South Africa, we have got ten staff. We have got three yeah. in America. So it wouldn't make sense anyway. Um, we have we work we work is in Johannesburg, Manchester, and London. So that's where. We tend to all congregate once, twice a week or whatever. Um, I think my business, the nature of my business is slightly different because there's only a few in sales. The rest are in, are in like delivery of communication yeah. and creative and stuff. So they, you know, they, they work, probably work better at home anyway. Um, I, I, I find the one thing I've said on a few, I've, I've mentioned it on this show, but I think even myself, I think we reacted so fast to the scenario last year. We had a great, you know, some of us enjoyed lockdown, April, May, June, fuck, fuck the office, including me, you know, we'll all go remote, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at your career over a period of say, you know, 16 years of Montash, yeah. but you might run till you're 60, that's 45 years. Yeah. Hopefully the pandemic's just a blip. It's just a yeah. small blip, Yeah. you know? Some of us made astronomical decisions based on a blip in a, in within three months so mm -hmm. i can see a lot of people reversing back yeah. to not necessarily going back to how they were but thinking they over egged the, yeah. the the love of the the new world and yeah. um i have days where i'm so 
fucking bored on my own. And then yeah. other days where I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, James Osborne said it to me, the, the TRN chair. He said, working from home is going to be fucking awesome when, when everything's open. Because yeah. it's a lot different saying I'm working from home and I'm jumping straight into a restaurant or a pub local than fucking working from home with everything shut. They're very yeah. different. It's, I've already found that. It's so much yeah. better to nip out and have a coffee or see someone or whatever. Then I, I'm quite enjoying being at home. It was getting yeah. really tedious till the world got opened back up. I think, look, there's there's so many different factors and every company's different, right? So what, what, what sector they're in. For me, the big one is the demographic of our staff, right? Our, our typical demographic, mid-20s, London's not their home, right? They've moved to London from other countries, from other parts of the country, yeah. right? They are here for the experience, okay? They don't have a massive friend group. No. They don't live in the suburbs with two kids, a dog and a friend group, and they want to walk the dog at lunchtime. They're living in a one, two bedroom flat with some people they know, some people they don't, and their friends are quite often their workmates, right? So what do you do in that situation? You say, oh, you know, they're not like, I'm loving working from home. They're a bit yeah. like, it's all right, but I could, I want to, you know, I want to come in. So we, we, we spoke to our people um, and we listened and we did it and it's been, it's been successful. So tell us, before we go, we've got about 10 minutes. Um, I could talk about this shit all day because it's been great fun. I want to get back yeah. to your Brazilian stories, but we'll do that. <laughs> Maybe uh, offline. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that another time. Uh, well, you, you mentioned a lot, and obviously I, I know of what you've been up to, but from a digital transformation perspective, you mentioned before the show, you know, you realized recently or a few years ago that a lot of the projects you were working on externally were digital transformation programs, yeah. but you weren't necessarily running anything like that internally. So can you just give us a an overview of what you've what, what you noticed and what you've been doing? Yeah. So this is where you and I are like, you know, really, really passionate and aligned on. So yeah. in that in my hiatus away from from Montash, one of the things I did was set up a platform for education recruitment for supply teachers, right? Yeah. And I approached that like I've never approached any other business with as a product. So we did market research, we spoke to supply teachers, we spoke to schools, we had a dev team, a proper agile dev team, two week sprints, all the post-it notes, the epics, the whole thing, right? We did it. And we said and there and we said the rules were, you know, we never say that's because it's always been done. Nothing, to, you know, disrupt everything. Blah, blah, blah. And we just went on this journey and we built phenomenal products, right? And it opened my eyes to, this was like early days of things like Slack, which now everyone's got teams in Slack. I was like, why, why, isn't it, why, is, why are more recruitment businesses not using Slack, right? Four years ago, this was, three years ago, yeah, people yeah, weren't yeah. using it. Or some dev teams were, but not mainstream. That's just a tiny example, but all these different things where I saw what's out there if you open your eyes, right? If you open your eyes and understand how the world is moving, how candidates want to be engaged, where they want to be engaged, how clients and candidates and clients want to be engaged and where, and then the tools that you could do to do the job, right? So when I came back to Montash, one of the things that we, we launched was Montash.digital. And one of my first hires was a head of growth, right? Yeah. And not marketing, growth. For me, the difference is it's quite fundamental. So if you think of a marketeer, content, brand, um, you know, all that sort of good stuff that, you know, website, et cetera, um, events, internal, external, it's all really, really, really important stuff, right? 
I didn't I didn't want a marketeer because I think a lot of that stuff we can consume externally, right? We can we can use third parties for. I wanted a growth person who's head of growth, right? And for me, the growth role, I think you're going to see it grow. I think it's going to become in every company yeah, yeah. to have a head of growth, right? What is growth? So growth sits on the intersection of marketing, technology, and sales, right? So they are basically essentially managing, creating and then managing the sales funnel. Okay. And it's it's if you think about your recruiters, right? A recruiter will sit on the sales funnel, kind of, you know, they're 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 out there going into above the funnel, grabbing a candle, bringing them down the funnel, right? One at a time, two at a time. Yeah, put an avatar out, go LinkedIn message, bring a candle down the funnel, hopefully to the bottom where it's a deal, right? Yeah. Me growth turbocharges that. It's like, how can we get 20 candidates down the funnel, right? So the recruiters now are moving slightly further down the funnel to the more value end of the funnel, right? Yeah. Qualification closing rather than research, you know, resourcing, whatever. Then more qualification managed through the process close, right? With, with the clients, bring client leads into the funnel, consultant brings it, picks it up, qualifies it, fills it. Right. So it's that kind of that that's and, and where why it intersects sales, tech and marketing is because uh, the, the, growth, the head of growth we've got here, his first thing is right. The platform, we've got to build the CRM, single source of truth, got to get consultants changing their mindset. Yeah. Understanding about data. Um, then where it touches marketing, right, we've got to make our consultants into mini marketeers social media, podcasts, et cetera, right? Yeah, yeah. Oxo has the academy, right? Yeah. Um, so that kind of thing, yeah. And then it, 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 it cross-sections sales because they've got to understand the sales cycle, right? Um, so this, so that, so ahead of growth, and then, in and, and then that's part of our digital transformation. The digital transformation is looking at all the tools we have, right? Really? How we're reaching our candidates, how we're reaching our clients. And this isn't digital transformation, let's redo the website, right? We no, haven't no. even redone our website yet. We're, we're ready to, it's how do we, if we launch, if we, when, if and when we relaunch our website, are we making sure that that is actually capturing quality candidates and clients rather than just a brochure website? And if yeah. it is, is it capturing them properly? Above the it coming from? You know, most traffic from websites in our in our market come from LinkedIn anyway. So what yeah. are you doing on LinkedIn? Like my academy is designed around the same concept. It's funny because I had a chat. I, I pitched to a whole company this week. And um, quite often, I you know, I speak to the owner and I talk about the academy and how we work with everyone in the business. And, um, you know, we're able to, at a desk level, mobilize every individual to understand how to, you know, produce content, the things they should be doing on LinkedIn. We know that literally recruiters have linkedin open all day 50 percent of the day yeah. is scrolling the platform yeah. phone times are dropping phone times yeah. are dropping and the days aren't getting any shorter so that they're on the platform right yeah. um anyway this guy turns around to me this week one of the one of the recruiters in a business i was pitching he says look i don't think this will work i said why he goes because our hiring managers don't give a shit about linkedin I was asked quite a fair point. So I asked, what's the average age of your hiring manager community in the tech world? He was like, probably, you know, late 50s, late 40s, early 50s, like the CIO, CTO, infrastructure, technology managers, that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, cool. I said, so is it fair to say every single day of this year, there will be a new hiring manager promoted in, in organizations you could work with? So what do you mean? I was like, well, will there be people that are hiring teams for the first time every day? He goes, yeah. I said, all right, what do you think their age will be? And he's yeah. like, well, you know, a bit younger, exactly. 
if they haven't got predetermined relationships on LinkedIn uh, with, with recruiters and they're on LinkedIn, where do you think they're going to go looking? Hmm. Like, you've got to think a bit further ahead than where you are right now. Because you, right, yeah. you know and I know right now your nice funnel might not have an impact tomorrow on the sales results because yeah. you've already you've already got people doing that. They're doing that dribbling people through it. Yeah. But if you can, if you can, at a desk level and at a company level, start to mobilize the reach and take the shit you're already saying on the phone and just take it online and then have mm -hmm. a have a have a route for people to follow through that's trackable yeah. Yeah. you know in a year in two years time it's a fucking game changer it's an absolute yeah. game changer you know if people go on hoxo's website that we know we get a notification bing yeah. reconversion on the website andy laholt's been on there again the amount of times i dm people and they go i was just thinking about you and i'm like yeah. oh coincidentally yeah. you know things, yeah. it's not even that advanced but technology that tech, that tech isn't like groundbreaking anymore no. it was five years ago not at all. so many companies don't use it uh, don't understand it don't use it don't want to use it you know we implemented something recently i'm not even gonna say what it is on this podcast because yeah. i don't want to give my competitors that edge it is out there right anyone anyone can get it it's cost yeah. i think it's like seven pound a user per month game changer you know our engagement with candidates has gone up um, through the roof, and it's it's really simple thing to to get people to use, but um, I think it's a case of you know what's the okay it's changing, but what's the traditional demographic of the recruitment owner? You know, I'm 42 today. I like to think of myself as quite young, but you know, traditionally, I think the traditional recruitment owners probably older than the, the you know the, the the ones that scaled are older. Um, Maybe they've been in recruitment for all of their career and they haven't been out. Like I had that opportunity to go out and build tech and see things, how they can be done. Um, yeah, so what's I'm the future? So Andy, what, that's the last question. Let's wrap this up. Where yeah. does Monta Where do you see the future of Montage? Do you want to exit in the future? Like, what are you trying to? What are you going for now? What's the plan? Yeah. So look, we have a fantastic set of people here. So our next three to five years is we know our strategy. We can stick with it. We're doing recruitment. We've got our core practice areas. We're going to get better, deeper thought leaders in those areas, right? We are. Um, what we know that we have to scale through leaders. So we are developing leaders within our business. They will have an option to come into the business on, on a level of ownership. And we're going to push on now. I mean, I have never seen a market like like this. It's phenomenal how busy we are. You know, this is the best tech in all the years. This is the best tech market I can remember. Um, so let's just take advantage of that. Let's scale, right? We want to stay single site for now. Okay, next three years is probably single site because why do we need to? If we can get in London, we've got a really nice office. We'll just expand here, take a couple of other floors. Uh, but more than that, we're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy ourselves, right? We're going to embrace new ways of working. We're going to develop people like we've never developed them before because we're allowing our recruiters to go and be social media, you know, do, do a podcast themselves go out and be a thought leader and enjoy their job. So, yeah, we, we're enjoying it. It's good. It's happy days for us. Um, we're blessed to be, I say to the staff every time, sure, we've got to be blessed to be in tech, right? We, you know, thank God we're not in hospitality or retail. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah I, do feel, I do feel for people in other sectors. That are, yeah, um, man, big time, control. big time, because it's nothing of their own doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, Honestly, Andy, I could chat to you all day, mate. I've, I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. And and thanks for your honesty. Thanks for the the genuine, you know, some tough tough questions, some tough, uh, some deep stuff, and some honest honest um, 
lows and highs and all sorts in between. Um, if anyone does listen and thinks, you know what, I'd love to chat to Andy directly. Are you open to a chat if, if they reach out? Yeah, DM me. Absolutely on LinkedIn, yeah. I'll, I'm going to let anyone know that you're shite at replying to DMs. I think you've replied <laughs> to me. I think it's took me two years to get you on the show. So just be prepared. He might not reply very quickly. Um but thank you. And look, we'll, I'd love to get you on again in the future. Um, you know, the, the, once the show, the new format of the show is announced, there'll be room for you back on and, and we'll see what, what, where you are then. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for anyone listening live on LinkedIn, anyone listening back on Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes, etc. Um, as I've said, every single week of this season, you know, we've been through probably the hardest year in, in so many ways. But we are now in a very, very interesting market. The, the, there's, I, I personally speak to recruitment owners all day, and it's a consistent, we've never seen it like this. So I really, really hope while you're listening, you're in a really good position. And, and if you're not, I hope it turns around for you fast. I also hope that you're getting value from the show and that you, you know, if you do like stories like what Andy said, if you've managed to learn something, then please don't keep this to yourself. Pass it on to people you know, because yet yeah, we are all in competition but together, these stories, these learnings, the inspiration, the industry will be stronger. There'll be a better reputation, and yeah. uh, it's, it's you know it's safeguarding our future. So yeah. I'll be back again next Wednesday. We've got a couple more episodes left in June before we're having a break. In the meantime, you stay safe, and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency, exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.